Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 45 for November 2019. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I'm Captain Sabriel Mastin. Captain, how are you this evening? Gosh, it feels like it's been about a month, hasn't it? I'm done pretty well. <laughs> you know, I am so willing to just keep forking over that money to CBS All Access so I can get that monthly 10-minute morsel of Star Trek. I'm under no illusions about why they're doing it, and yet I continue to do it. And we have a full compliment on the bridge this week. Joining us is Boston director and playwright, co-host of the Mousetrap podcast, communications officer, Lieutenant Commander Dory Robinson. Hello, Dory. Hello, Ken. Hello, Sabriel. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. So you have quite the elaborate title coming onto the show. Do you want to <laughs> break that down for us? What you, sure. you mentioned uh, Boston director and playwright. Those are pretty self-explanatory, but give us a little more detail on that. Absolutely. So I am a freelance director and playwright in the Boston area, and I've worked with companies such as Alight Theater Guild, Fresh Ink Theater, and Flat Earth Theater. And uh, that that is a little bit of a start to that element but been working in that field for many, many years. Fantastic. And as I mentioned, you are no stranger to podcasting. I'm a fan of your other show, The Mousetrap, which really could just be a, a, a cousin or a sibling to The Transporter Law because they're so similar. You have two very attractive, intelligent people, a man and a woman, consuming pop culture and then separately and then reuniting to elaborate and discuss and analyze it just like transporter lock i was wondering where you're gonna go with that <laughs> <laughs> exactly unfortunately the mousetrap is no longer in commission however yes for many years pip geckenbach and i did the mousetrap building a better shakespeare podcast about Shakespeare, about uh, mostly directed for teachers on how to use Shakespeare in their classrooms and make it more accessible. Because as we know, Shakespeare on the page is not as exciting as Shakespeare on the stage. So, uh, but there were many, many ways that we brought in popular culture as well, because Shakespeare, as we know, is part of our everyday life, not simply back back in 1599. Wait a minute, Shakespeare is part of our everyday life? I think most people don't know that. So many words, Ken. Have you ever said the word eyeball? Guess who made that word? Guess who invented that word? What? 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 <laughs> Shakespeare invented around 3,000 words that we commonly use today, and many phrases that we know, such as, it's all Greek to me, um, which might have gone well with your former podcast, that, that your most recent podcast, where you reference having learned ancient Greek. Heck, if it were not for Shakespeare, I'm sure we would not have half the titles for Star Trek episodes that we, ha <laughs> that that we have. True. <laughs> that is true. And we also wouldn't have the entirety of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Exactly. I mean, that title alone comes from Hamlet's great soliloquy, but also we have a Shakespeare quoting Klingon. Oh, that's right. What, you're saying none of this came up on the mousetrap? <laughs> <laughs> it did not. But, you know, if we revise the mousetrap, will, we will bring it back and we will speak about this Klingon. I would love to hear the Klingon episode of the mousetrap. <laughs> Me too. I would love to record it. In Klingon. 
That's right. It's always better in the original Klingon. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll work on that. Thank you. So we are here this week to chat about the second season, third episode of Short Tracks, that being Ask Not. And here to deliver the TLDR is Dory. Hi, Dory. Hi. <laughs> Hi again. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> so to now, this episode was one of the shortest of the short tracks. It was under 10 minutes. So I'm challenging you to deliver a summary that is shorter than that. <laughs> uh, challenge accepted. So we begin with a yellow alert on Starbase 28, where a young cadet, Cadet Sidu, is is absolutely, her world is turned upside down because the base is under attack. And before she even has a chance to reorient herself, uh, a prisoner is brought into inventory two where she is working. She's an engineer and she is told by her commanding officer, she is to watch this prisoner and under no circumstances, let this individual leave the room. Sure enough. Uh, when we pull back the coolest space hood in history, it is huh? revealed that it is captain Pike. Captain Pike immediately leans into her and with this presence and maturity that he has says, I need open comms. I need to get out of here. Let me go. Immediately gives her orders. And though shaky at first, she eventually pushes back and says, you've been accused of mutiny. You hold no authority here. And we get further and further down this rabbit hole where he explains what the situation is, why the starbase is under attack. And it ends up that they're, uh, the, the Bowman is in danger. Now the Bowman is where her husband is stationed. So he's trying to convince her to let him go so that they can help the Bowman. And she holds pretty firm. She holds firm, even though she's shaky at first, she holds firm and says, no, I will follow protocol. And he puts more and more and more pressure on her and even goes so far as to say, I will not forget this. When we get out of here, you will never see the inside of a starship again and he goes to the door and as the music crescendos he goes to the door she raises the phaser and just at that moment he stops what we now learn is a simulation and we learn that she has been going through a test to see how she responds in wartime and will she put the needs of starfleet ahead of her own personal needs and she asks but why you? You're a pretty busy guy. And it ends up because she has been through this test to see if she can become a crew member on the Enterprise. And sure enough, we see her and Pike beam onto the Enterprise. They meet number one. They meet Spock. And she sees engineering. And before we can learn whether or not her phaser in the simulation was real, Captain Pike says, see you around. Yay, and they lived happily ever after. And they, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that was like, the best TLDR we ever had. I mean, we're just going to need to have you come I'm so glad, Sabriel. Thank you. I wanted to make sure it was tight. <laughs> I feel like this is the first time somebody has come onto this show actually knowing what they're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a lot of, I mean, the manip the manipulation is a harsh word, but but truly Captain Pike is throwing everything he has at her in a tight, 
time period. So there were actually a lot of details that happened in this very short episode. And he's throwing everything he has at her. He's throwing different Starfleet regulations. She's throwing them back. He's, um, you know, talking about her husband. Apparently they uh, were the only survivors of a Tholian attack several years before. So like all of this happens in rapid fire language as everything's blowing up around them from torpedoes. So it was, it was a tight episode in my opinion. Because now her husband is stationed on the Bowman. So she has a personal stake in setting Captain Pike free with the potential to save her husband's life. Exactly. No pressure. Wow. So yeah, that, so even though it was a short episode, as you said, a lot happened. It was very snappy with the dialogue. Dory, what did you think of this episode? Oh, I thought it was incredible. And so such an interesting choice after the previous episodes, the previous short treks. So we've had a little bit of humor in the previous short treks. And to suddenly go to something so extreme. And to be honest, to just jump right in, it was interesting to see sort of this young cadets, like a cadet version of the Kobayashi Maru. That was my first thought is, oh my gosh, we're as soon as the simulation, it was revealed that it was a simulation, I thought, oh my gosh, we've just seen a smaller version of the Kobayashi Maru. And that's very interesting um, to see sort of the psychological training and demands of a Starfleet officer. And I thought it was really interesting, a very interesting way to bring us a new character. And if we don't see her during the season, I will be completely perplexed. (laughs) It was interesting to see how Captain Pike handled it. Yeah, I I was, I was certain. I mean, the urgency starts from second one, second one, we're under yellow alert. So that kind of intensity was, was, was really compelling. At what point did you start to be suspicious of what was actually happening here? I think the moment I saw uh, Captain Pike's face, I said, mm, something's, something's up. I mean, it's got to be because he is so well-respected. Sure, he doesn't always follow protocol and often makes his own, but there, there has to be more to this story. And he so easily g- gives the information of how this all happened and how this all came to be. And there was, I mean, there was a smoothness to him, which Captain Pike has, but I just thought, Oh, there's, there's one more thing here. I don't know what it is, but there's something else. Mm-hmm. What about you, Sabriel? Were you suspicious at all? I had the same or similar inclination, like something is up here, but I could not figure out what it was. I wasn't sure where they were going to take it, but something felt off. But no, I didn't see that coming specifically. Me neither. I didn't know it was going to be a simulation. But I knew something was going on because there were moments where Captain Pike was not behaving very Captain Pike-like. The moment where he was most in character was when he said he resisted being relieved of duty, and he said, that didn't go so well. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) That seemed very Pike. But as the scene went on and he said, I will get in the Enterprise, lure the Tholians away, and then I'll uh, I'll destroy their ship. It's what they deserve. That was the moment I was like, mm-hmm. this is not right. Because just last month during the Short Trek Q&A, when Spock asked number one, what can you tell me about Pike? Number one said that Pike is committed to finding nonviolent solutions. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he would suggest a violent solution, I was like, my thought was that he was some sort of an imposter, kind of like that 
TNG episode where Picard was kidnapped and put in a room with three other people to try to solve a puzzle. You know, I was like, some, somebody here is not who they seem. And so that's what I thought was going on. Maybe the Tholians have some sort of a shape-shifting capability I wasn't aware of. Or maybe that mask he was wearing is also some sort of a, a hollow emitter like they use on the TV show The Flash. I, I, I couldn't tell what was going on, but I knew that not everything was what it seemed. Uh, there was a part where also felt very Pike-like, and he was uh, regurgitating facts about her life. He seems someone mm-hmm. who is very in tune with who his crew is, or people who even want to be on the ship. And he was like reciting all this stuff about her, and like that felt very Pike-like to me. It kind of reminds me of Captain Picard when he would say to Chief O'Brien, "How oh, just like how you used to build ships in a bottle as a kid." And Chief O'Brien was like, "How do you know that?" And Picard was like, "Oh, I read it in your record." Which, in that particular episode, which was the series finale, was a bit of a white lie, but nonetheless, he really does know his crew. You know, it's interesting that you point out that moment because there was, I agree about Captain Pike would know everyone on board pretty in depth, anyone that wants to be on board pretty in depth. However, there was something about his gesture, there was a tell, basically, he he might as well have been like, yeah, uh, your name. Yeah, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, your husband. You know, he almost had that intonation and that signaled to me performing knowing about her rather than actually knowing her. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I noticed something about that, too. It seemed more like he was fishing for a way to manipulate her. That's she, It was almost like he was saying, that's right. Your husband is on the Bowman. Don't you want to save him? Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, it wasn't it was sincere. It almost seemed like something Captain Lorca would do. Like he would read his staff's personnel file to find weaknesses that he could exploit. And that seemed like what Pike was bringing up. It's interesting that you mentioned that too, because Pike is in fact so opposite of that. Immediately as soon as the simulation is over, the first thing he does is apologize. I'm sorry. That was, I know that was a lot. We're actually bringing your husband over for a quick leave. You know, he immediately amends for this very stressful situation that has occurred. A situation that Sabriel has strong thoughts about. I was just going to segue that myself. I came away from this episode pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Once they reveal it was a simulation and and, uh, what was her name? Sidhu? She's all like instantly like, "Ah, ah, ah, oh, and he's like, Surprise! You won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes! <laughs> and she's like, hey, yay! And I'm like, no, I would be pissed at him. And they try to cover it up. It's like, you know, I'm sorry, that was a little extreme. Some might call it inhumane, but you know, war is like that. And you know what? She's still a cadet. This is just to serve out part of her term on the ship. We don't even know what she's going to be doing, other than that she wanted to be on the Enterprise in engineering. And Oh man, she's just smiling and laughing at the reveal. I'd be like full of energy, adrenaline, and just like, you, what? This is a what? At the beginning, a console exploded and she obviously hit her head because she's like nursing some kind of wound or injury mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like, you could have caused some kind of concussion or something in her in this simulation. Oh, I was pissed. <laughs> but how is this different from what Starfleet made Wesley Crusher endure in the TNG episode Coming of Age, where he had to relive how his father died? I say is different i think it's cruel too that's a that's such a ah, that's a really interesting good point sabriel i had that same thought that she smiled so quickly afterward and sort of shook her head like wow that that captain i i, I had that same thought of 
wow, that was a really fast turnaround. Yeah, they kind of like, even if they would have extended the scene, just like her coming to terms with the fact that it was fake, I think would have made it feel a little better. Yeah, even if she just took a few moments to just breathe on her own instead of just looking after him smiling, I would have believed that a lot more. I mean, I suppose it depends on uh, how relieved she is and how she handles pressure. I I had a very... uh, I had a different thought, which is incredibly logical, I suppose. But I also thought, well, how could they possibly do this for every cadet? That's a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of time. Like five different people were involved with this. Yeah. That's a lot of to do. And to a certain, now I'm getting really nerdy, but to, to a certain degree, if, if everyone had a test such as this, then it would go around the cadets going, well, at some point. Something's crazy gonna happen. Something crazy is going to happen. Yeah, word would get around. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like characters in a Dungeons and Dragons world. If they see something impossible, they know I should make a disbelieving check because this could be an illusion because they know illusions exist. Yeah. Now I rewatched this episode about an hour ago, and I noticed in her face in that scene, she did have some hesitation there, and it could say something to be like. Her training, her being a cadet, maybe she handles stress really well. Uh, she was trying to make sure she put on a good face for the captain. You mean at the beginning or the end? Like when she? Oh, at, at the at the end when she when the, it's all when she, when it's yeah. revealed to be a simulation, she might be. She does feel a little bit strained in her smile, like <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah. uh, maybe she's just trying to be like, this is still rank and file. I have to be good for the captain, and I can't yell at him. I'm a cadet. Yeah, I was impressed not only how how quickly she got over it, but also how quickly she took the truth. Because, mm-hmm. I, you know, like if I was in an, a facsimile or a simulation and they revealed it to be such, I would wonder, am I still in the Matrix? Kind of like the TNG episode Ship in a Bottle, where they're just layers upon layers. How does she know who to ever trust or believe again? I agree with that completely. And my first thought was she hands, he, he, he puts his hand out and she gives him back the phaser immediately without confirmation from the off. So to me, I have a tiny bit of military experience and I would not have handed over that phaser until the officers who had been there before and dropped him off resurfaced and said, yes, the simulation's over. Exactly. If your prisoner says, oh, this is just a gag, you're not going to believe him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Lights come on. Like he he takes himself out of the cuffs. Like who knows? Oh, that's true. I mean, still, he might be really good at that. He flashes with that handsome smile. I mean, why not? I'll just give him the phaser, right? <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're, there are environmental cues, but based on how much else has been fabricated, where does it end? Yeah, and like I said, the adrenaline's still pumping. Like you would, sh- I think she would be shaking like with the phaser, probably. Remember in the uh, first Captain America film where they toss a grenade into a squad of training mm-hmm. soldiers and everybody else runs away except Steve Rogers who covers him the grenade? Yeah. I remember reading about an incident where a commander actually did that to his troops and everybody else ran away. One person covered the grenade. But even after they told him it was fake, he like he couldn't come out. He just kept covering it and he kept shaking and he was so fearful that he had died or that he was going to die. You know, and that's not something you do lightly. And the fact that, well, for me, if I had been in this cadet's position, even if I believed like, okay, that was a simulation, I would just be so 
distraught and so frayed around the edges and so confused, I would like want to think about dropping out of any organization that would have done that to me. Yeah, the lesson they try to learn is, you know, war is hell. I'm like, um, like, yes, it is, but I don't know. I don't know. This just felt wrong. Can I ask you both the question? Yes. Go for it. Because I agree with both of your points. It is, it, it's terrifying. I can't imagine doing a quick turnaround with a smile and then how elated she is to be on the Enterprise. We've immediately gone from a terrible war situation to Willy Wonka's factory. <laughs> knowing all this, how do we feel now about number one, knowing that it was her idea, the whole thing was her idea? Because we find out that she and her husband both requested the Enterprise, neither got it. And we find out that number one even decided that to reject her from the Enterprise as part of this whole simulation. This simulation has been going on for that long. So how do we feel about number one knowing that she created this? Took her down a little bit on a personable level, at least. She always has come across as this person who does what needs to get done. And maybe that's still true here, but it took away some of the emotion from her. Like I don't know, it just felt like she always seemed like... A good person and now i feel like maybe she is usually but now I have, there's some gray area here i was like it just took her down a notch in a personable level that's a really interesting question and not one i have thought about number one has always struck me as almost vulcan like in her logic and her perfunctory nature but now i'm thinking about it in addition to that of a school i used to teach at where the principal once told me ken everybody in the school from the teachers to the parents are tools to help me do my job, which is to make sure these kids get educated. And I understood what he was trying to get at, but nonetheless, he was reducing everybody around him and not seeing them as people, but as means to an end. And I feel like maybe number one has that same worldview, that same perspective, where here's a cadet who could do a really good job at the Enterprise. We need to make sure this tool is up to the job. It's such an extreme measure for a cadet that the only thing I could think is, well, is Enterprise about to go on a very, very big specific mission that's going to involve her specific expertise in engineering? Like, why her? Why now? Why this? Why the Enterprise? I'm, I'm just asking a bunch of whys. Yeah, because the way they say, like, this is just a semester. <laughs> like, she's still in cadet school training mode thing. Like... It's not even a full-term assignment. Yeah, she's doing an internship on the Enterprise. Like This is a huge, <laughs> huge deal just for one person who's still got to go back to classes. So I guess that's my thought is, do you think that, and this goes back to a question that I posed to Ken offline before, do we think that she will then play a very big role in season three? See, I don't know because, you know, we're supposed to be 900 years in the future. Right. And none of the short tracks have been about Discovery. They've all been about the Enterprise. Mm. I think they're saving all that for Discovery because uh, just as we, so we can come together in the future together. Like, like all is one. Like we're not going to see any of the the crew reacting to where they, when they are. No sneak peeks. Yeah. Although, and this takes me to what I had asked Ken about earlier. I have this theory about the short trek calypso that that 
might actually be hinting towards season three of Discovery because I didn't see it appear that much. Like the idea of 900 or a thousand years in the future, other than that is where Discovery was going. Otherwise, we were not in the future in season two. Yeah, at the time, Ken and I were speculating. I was throwing out there like, most of the short tracks seem to have something to do with what was coming up, or at least plot, or threw that out there as a possibility. And that one was one that kind of stuck out. Like, this is a little mm-hmm. weird. And no, I think it's totally possible. This season, it feels like the short tracks don't feel like they might have something to do with the upcoming season and more like world building in the current season. Plus, also, everyone liked Pike so much mm-hmm. and wanted more Captain Pike. And so we're getting more Captain Pike. But I totally agree with you with that that whole Calypso episode. One of my favorite short treks of all time. One of my favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. Just uh, seems like an outlier. And it feels like, yeah, I think we're going to be getting to see what happened with what is this Dreyesh and what happened to the Federation in all this time. Yeah, Calypso is definitely going to come back in some form or fashion, especially now that we are in that time period. How these new episodes of short treks in this current season are going to tie in. That is really hard to know. We don't even know what time period Ask Not was set in because the episode Q&A was Spock's first day, which is a prequel to everything else we've seen so far. Whereas the last time we saw them in the current timeline, it was right after Discovery went into the future. So those are the two opposite endpoints of the Enterprise timeline when it comes to Discovery. And this trial could have been anywhere in there. So is this somebody who is now joining Spock just after his first day or is she joining after discovery has disappeared and when or if or will she come back i suspect discovery has to come back to the present at some point because we need to get that section 31 spin-off starring michelle yo but you know as steve jobs once said you can't connect the dots looking forward you can only connect them looking backwards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there were some things in this episode i did like even if the rest of it pissed me off kind of just rapid fire here in no order they started rehashing some regulations we heard before the one that stood up for me was from uh, i think it was equinox when voyager and the equinox meet up janeway says something about or one of the two ransom or janeway say something about the uh ship who has the most firepower is the one that's in charge and they mentioned that one here Number one, when they're when they're bringing the cadet aboard, does a little eyebrow raise at Spock, mm-hmm. and maybe that's where he got it. I don't remember. But then also we got to see engineering's new style of engine, or excuse me, Enterprise's new style of engineering to the or the, like the new style of Trek version of engineering, which I thought was cool. And in that engineering room, we saw a bunch of the Star Trek R two units mm-hmm. running around. <laughs> Oh, I missed that. I need to go rewatch that. There's a whole bunch of them in there. I loved when they were sh- shouting regulations back and forth at each other. I felt like I was watching two D&D rules lawyers just going at it. <laughs> I mean, the fact that she could quote so fast, it was it was impressive. And, and she knew how she felt about the regulations. He would toss one out at her and say, yes, this is possible, but this is not my style. Um, so this definitely felt like she was going to be some kind of officer training and not just mm. like engineering officer trading. Although at one point when she dismissed one of his rules by by basically using her pistol to lower his handcuffs, mm-hmm. I was thinking, I'm glad that he is intent on recruiting her to his cause because if this was an issue of close quarters combat, that was an opportunity for him to wrestle the pistol away. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'm surprised that she let him get that close. You know, I might have been, if it wasn't me, I might have just stunned him and been done with it. <laughs> 
and I don't know if I would have passed the test or not. I mean, pistols have settings for a reason. Come on now. That's right. Honestly. It, it also reminded me of in Star Trek First Contact when Alfre Woodard, Lily, has that pistol trained on Picard and he's trying to talk her down into not firing it. And when he gets the pistol back, when she hands it to him, he says, it was set to kill. You would have vaporized me. And she said, I'm sorry, it's my first laser pistol or whatever. In the novel version of Star Trek First Contact, when he gets it back, he says, it was just set to stun. Oh, really? And I felt like that deprives the entire scene of all the weight. So when our cadet asks, was my pistol actually functional? And we don't know. On one hand, I can't believe that they would give the cadet the capacity to fall into the illusion that they are creating for her and thus accidentally hurt or kill the captain. But on the other hand, it does deprive the scene of weight if it's just a hobby gun. Well, I thought she got points off for not checking the phaser. Like, who gets handed a gun and doesn't check what is the situation with this gun before I point it at someone? I, 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 that ma- that military-wise, that makes no sense to me. And I noticed that she just took it and did not check the setting. Yeah. Uh, like even, like, even was it? Uh, I don't remember if Discovery era ones do, but in the movie era, like the new Trek, like the Kelvin timeline, you can actually tell if it's on stun or kill by what color it's in. Mm. So I don't know. I don't remember if they have that here in Discovery time. That's right. I remember seeing the phaser switch its light when Kirk <gasps> and Spock beamed over to the Romulan ship. Yeah, actually, no. I uh, when Burnham was, uh, there was a scene on uh, the the first ep- the pilot episode. They did something similar to that because I remember commenting on it. Oh, that's right. When they were on the Klingon ship. Yeah, the, the what was the sarcophagus ship they called it. Well, maybe the Enterprise has those new phases, just like they have mm-hmm. the new Apparently. uniforms. I don't know. <laughs> oh, the new uniforms. I love them, but that's another topic. <laughs> it occurs to me that the short treks are really contained not in not just in their plot and in their time, but also how many actors they have. Like Q&A was largely just two people, and there were a few people at the beginning and the end, and that was it. This episode, primarily just two people. We saw, number one, Spock at the end and the two other individuals at the beginning, but really just two people. And that goes back to the first season as well. Like Calypso was one human and one AI. Mm -hmm. They really are able to tell some really tight stories with just two actors. Agreed. Yeah. uh, I I can't remember if I mentioned it on this show before, if I've just mentioned it to someone in passing, but a few years back because of a show called uh, Star Trek XNR and the crap that they pulled to make their own Star Trek show that was not licensed Viacom and CBS put the put the kibosh on saying like, hey, no, fan films, we used to give you carte blanche to what, do what you want as long as you didn't raise money and you ruined it. And so now here's your new rules. And one of them was episodes can only be like 15 minutes or so of whatever fan made Star Trek show you want to do. And you know what? I don't think this was intentional to, to use these as an example how to do it, but it is turning into one. Like, here's how you make a short episode about Star Trek that builds the universe, builds your characters, and is done in a very short time frame. I'm glad they're not applying the rest of their own rules to these short treks, because it also requires that they not use actors who have previously appeared in Star Trek. <laughs> oh, yes. wow. Although we have seen a lot of new characters, as we mentioned with The Trouble with Edward, which was, except for the original handover in the opening of the episode, all new characters. That's right. Dory, you mentioned the coolest mask ever was seen in Ask Not. Come on, that was the coolest space hood 
that I have experienced that. So when uh, Captain Pike is first brought into inventory two, which was very interesting that they were like, the brig is down. So you're in charge of this prisoner here (laughs) (laughs) and you're clearly trained for this. So go. And she asks, why is he masked? And they say, because we don't want anyone to know that this guy mutinied. And the nano bits all reveal uh, Captain Pike. It was real cool, I thought. Yeah, that was a fun little effect. Was it uh, feasible? Is it like, does it make sense to have something like this in the universe at all? I don't know. But the fact that they had it was cool just for TV. I wasn't sure we were going to see his face at all. I thought it might just be a MacGuffin, like in Pulp Fiction, where everybody in the show knows who it is, but the audience doesn't get to find out. Oh, that would be so interesting. Can you imagine sort of this build and the suspense, and we're just hearing his voice, but we don't actually get to look in his eyes? Oh, man, I don't know if I would have the same effect. The gravitas, because he has just a way with that base. Like, he's a charming man. Oh, yeah. It would have been a completely different episode. But it also reminds me of season two of The Flash, where there was somebody in an Iron Mask for the entire season. And you don't find out until the se- the season finale who it was. And when I found out, it took my breath away. Wow. Yeah, I also thought it was just great camera work because... We start looking at him in the hood. We follow the nano bits into uh, that other officer's hands. So we like go to the back of Captain Pike, and then the camera comes around to reveal him. So it's like the the kind of swoop is is well done. The, the swoop is that the, the technical swoop. name? In fact, yes, the the swoop. Oh, okay. I thought that was a hairstyle, but what do I know? I mean, if you've done stage work, you'll understand. <laughs> Which I clearly never have. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Technical terms. Now, you are not only a Shakespearean expert, Dory, but also, I assume, other literature from that era, such as Alexander Dumas, who popularized the historical character, The Man in the Iron Mask. Oh, Were you, yes. Did you think of that at all? I did not think of that at all. That's so interesting. I was sort of just all into... What are I think I'm constantly amazed by how fluid and smooth they make things look on the Enterprise when I think about the original series and how somewhat angular and clunky things were. But that's an excellent point. See, I, I didn't think of Man in the Iron Mask not because similar, but just uh, because it was a completely different story. Like he wasn't, he didn't stay in it or anything like that. Right. It was just a hood. Right, which is why I say if he had stayed in the mask, it would have been a very different story. But yeah. we don't often see masked or hooded prisoners in Star Trek lore in general. That's true. Although they do use, as you pointed out, deception a lot. They use people masquerading as other people, disguises. That that happens a lot. Or like Star Trek Into Darkness, where Khan's identity was supposedly not known. He didn't wear a mask, but people were like, who are you? And he's like... The truth is, I am not. What What was it like? John Anderson, John Cooper, something. <laughs> He's like, I'm actually Khan Noonien Singh. Yeah, it was some very plain, basic name. No, wait, wait, Khan Noonien Singh wasn't that Data's creator? Did I get it wrong? No, no, no. Uh, very similar names. Oh, Noonien Soon. Okay, uh-huh. I got it. I got it. I always confuse those People two. People are always like, are they related? Are they not? Yeah, we don't know. But then no. Discovery, or excuse me, Enterprise, try to kind of tie things together. Right. Speaking of names, it was a rather, I don't know what you two thought, but as soon as I saw that the show, that, that this episode is called Ask Not, you know, I immediately 
sort of had this thought like, oh, this is going to be asking quite a bit of this young cadet for the sake of Starfleet. I mean, that was my immediate thought. I don't know what everyone else thought about. Yeah, yeah. My, my thought right away goes to JFK mm-hmm. and his famous line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so like, what are you going to do for... Yeah, no, I had a very similar thought to, like, what are you going to do for Starfleet or the Federation? But... I thought it interesting how this season of Short Treks is working the title of each episode into the opening credits each time in a very different way. Like Mm -hmm. The Trouble with Edward, where it's all multiplying like tribbles. And this time, (laughs) it was just red text against a black background with none of the usual beige paper or the ship Mm. flying by or any credits. It was just very austere. Yeah, agreed. And I I thought the same thing, especially because we've gone from lighter short treks to this really intense one. And my first thought was, wow, they are not playing around with this one. Mm -hmm. This one is, we have an emergency. We're at a critical point right now. I appreciate that with this new Discovery era Star Trek. They, they are not afraid to use the title cards to set a mood. Mm -hmm. Like even on Discovery, they had the, when they were doing the throwbacks to the pilot episode, like last time, and they had all the very sixties font going through and all and the cutaways and and transitions i'm like i'm glad that they were like totally up for doing that where instead of being the hard and cut dry this is star trek this is how we do it yeah and also how they even changed throughout season two like as they got to know more about the red angel the opening credits became more specific about the red angel Mm -hmm. the only other time i've seen that happen in star trek history was season four of enterprise when they did the mirror universe episode oh i love those Ooh. You need to go back and watch that. Oh, it's delightful. D Space Nine, they added more to the credits in like season three when they got, uh, when they're like, we need to, and they changed the music a little bit to be more up tempo. They had more ships flying around DS9. and Yes, I do remember that. Kind of like how Enterprise, I think they did abbreviate the opening sequence and they added the name Star Trek to it. Yeah, but, but nothing to the effect that we're seeing now. And nothing episode specific other than that two parter in Enterprise. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts about Ask Not? No, I threw them all out there. Dory? No, I'm just so curious to... I mean, of course, as always, I'm curious to see what's next. And I'm curious to see why they revealed this about number one. I'm curious to see, you know... Yeah, I'm just curious to see more. Uh, I I know Ken does not watch your previews. I do. For the next (laughs) thing. At least for the short treks. And so I saw the previews at the end of this episode existed and I hit the stop button. Uh, There's going to be something interesting they haven't done before for Star Trek. And I can't wait for you to see something they've never done before or something they haven't done in 40 years in Star Trek. Oh, Oh well, okay. Technically. Yes. But uh, never mind. They have done it before, (laughs) but not like this. Sabriel, are you talking about the 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 style? Okay. Okay. Well, we have only one month until those short treks come out. Yeah, both at the same time, I think. Yeah, double hitter. Wow, we'll get a whole 20 minutes of Star Trek. (laughs) What did we do to deserve this bounty? (laughs) All right, well, on that note, let's call it a wrap. Dory, if any of our listeners want to follow you online, is there a webpage or Twitter account you can point them to? Yes, I am at Dory Robinson, D-O-R-I-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N.com. And Twitter, I'm at Sparrow and Lark, two Shakespearean birds. (laughs) very good i'll include those in the show notes well dory thank you so much for joining us it's been a delight 
Thank you for having me. It's been such a pleasure to speak with both of you. Great. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much. And Captain, I will talk to you next month. Until then. Hit it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. I assume for the TLDR that you don't want tons of specifics because we'll get into that in the episode or like sort of the, the watercolor rather than the like Syrah <laughs> painting version. Sorry, that was way abstract. <laughs> I was like, I'm not smart enough for this podcast, so I'm just going to fade out now. You two carry on. <laughs> Sorry. If you want less specifics or more specifics in the summary.